Welcome to the Smiling at the Future podcast. My name is Christy Rose, and this is my pursuit to glean practical wisdom on femininity, homemaking, finances, relationships, and singleness from the God-fearing men and women in my life. Hope you enjoy this journey with me as we learn to smile at the future. everyone. Congratulations on clicking on this episode. I want you all to think of this conversation as someone giving you just life advice. Insurance is the kind of thing that we know we need to know more about, but it always gets relegated to the back burner because let's face it, it's a little boring. But I can guarantee you that this conversation will not put you to sleep and you will come away with more knowledge so that you can walk wisely on this path of life. My guest today is insurance expert Daniel Clark, and he's here to make insurance a little more interesting for you. So here is our conversation. Okay, welcome, Daniel, to the Smiling at the Future podcast. Would you introduce yourself to the listeners and share your interest in and experience with the topic of insurance? Sure. Well, let me start by saying thank you for having me on your show. I appreciate the opportunity to speak about my line of work and something that I'm really passionate about. And uh, I really respect what you're doing here with your podcast. Uh, My business partner and I have started our own over the past few months. And it's not easy to think about relevant topics and to be engaging and entertaining and to, you know, commit to producing one on a consistent basis. So my hat's off to you for that. So I have been married to my wife, Kristen, for uh, almost 19 years. It'll be 19 years in January. And um, I got into the insurance industry about 15 years ago. I interviewed and was selected to open my own state farm agency. And I owned that agency for nine years. I closed that business when I saw an opportunity to move into the independent segment of the industry, meaning that I would be able to represent. Uh, dozens of insurance companies instead of just representing one. The problem that I was running into over and over again when I was working for State Farm was that if they no longer wanted to insure an individual or uh, their business, not only was I looking at customers who had grown to know me and trust me, and I was not only telling them that they couldn't be insured with State Farm anymore, but I couldn't be their insurance agent anymore. And I help a lot of people through the church and their friends and people that they refer me to. And those conversations were really difficult. So I wanted the opportunity to remain their insurance agent and just offer them a different insurance company. So it changed the conversation from, I can't help you anymore to, hey, this company no longer wants to insure your specific risk, but I have these four other companies that are interested in that. And then after about uh, four years of working for an independent agency, the opportunity arose for me to be a business owner again and go into business with a good friend and a fellow believer. And so we opened Greyhawk Premier Insurance Solutions just a little over a year ago. That was actually October 1st um, of 2021. So yeah, we've been making a run at it the last year and we've moved over 95% of our clients from our uh, from our previous agency over to Greyhawk. And so the client response has been really, really overwhelming and God's been really kind in that regard. That's awesome. And uh, Daniel, your wife, Kristen, came on the podcast quite a while ago, back 
2021 on episode 21 to speak about third wheeling with couples and families and how to do that well. So if the listeners want to go back and take a listen to that one, that was a really fun episode with Kristen. But yeah, the topic of insurance, not especially glamorous. Some people are probably hesitant to click on this episode. But, you know, it falls into um, a category that, at least for myself, I feel like I'm relatively ignorant about. And so I feel a little uncomfortable, maybe even fearful about making decisions in this area. I kind of think of it in the area of like, going to the car mechanic and the mechanic telling me all the stuff I need done on my car. And I don't, I don't, I'm so ignorant. I don't know if I should trust him if I, so I think the more we know, the, the better we can make decisions. And so that's kind of the idea behind this conversation is to not have fear behind it, but to educate ourselves, to make wise decisions as single women and to be independent in that way. So I said, I don't know a lot about this topic. That is very true. I'm going to definitely flaunt my ignorance, but I'm hoping that it'll strike a chord with some of the listeners who are in the exact same boat that I am. Um, just here to learn, ask the questions, and hopefully make some better decisions moving forward. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hopefully I can help. <laughs> All right. Well, buckle your seatbelts, everyone. Uh, <laughs> we're going to start out with the most basic of basic questions. What is insurance and why do we need it? Yeah. So as you alluded to, I am attempting to do what many have failed at in this podcast today, which is to make insurance an interesting topic. Yeah. <laughs> insurance is drier than a saltine cracker. Okay. So I will work hard to be energetic and uh, uh, insert some, uh, some storytelling today in order to make this industry that's really comprised of uh, legal contracts. That's really all that we're looking at and try and make it interesting and beneficial to your listeners. And also, I don't want to come across as uh, fear-mongering, which is um, what a lot of people in our industry can be accused of if they're just talking about, you know, these are the things that can happen in your life. So I, I don't want to come across that way as well. At its most basic levels, insurance is a financial safety net for an individual or a family to purchase that protects you from catastrophic financial loss, right? So whether that could be a car accident, a home burning down, the unexpected loss of a loved one, a debilitating injury that removes your ability to work in your given profession. I like to say that at its core, insurance is investing in your future. You don't have to go too far in your Bible before you realize that trials and tribulations will come in this life, um, especially when you recognize that chronologically, Job was the first book written in our Bible. And so given the difficulties will come in our time, we have the opportunity to hedge against some of those risks and purchase a legal contract between an individual and a multi-million dollar corporation in exchange for that financial safety net. So at its most basic level, that's what we're looking at. Well, you mentioned Job. And that's a good segue for asking, what is the balance for Christians between purchasing insurance or trusting in God's sovereignty over our lives? That's a good question. And uh, probably I, I would tell you one of the more prominent questions that I get when I work with believers as to why 
they're not buying insurance. I hear it mostly in regards to life insurance. First, I would say that buying insurance and trusting God are not mutually exclusive. So you can plan wisely. You can prepare for possible disasters in times of trial and still rest in God's, in God's sovereign plan for your life. So there's a lot of people that God is going to sovereignly care for their family through their forethought and purchase of life insurance. But if we, if we simply see insurance as a means of investing in the future and hedging against risks, then I actually think that we see several examples of that throughout our Bible. In Proverbs 6, for example, I think you know the, the ant is extolled and given as an example of diligent work, but also of forethought and planning as they gather food in the summer while food is in abundance in order to prepare for winter when food is scarce. We see it, I think, in the life of Joseph as well when he's uh, storing grain in Genesis 41 in anticipation of the famine that would come. And then I think a good example of uh, both planning and trusting comes in the book of Nehemiah in chapter four, when they're building the wall around Jerusalem and they're getting word that there's you know, opposition to them building this wall and their enemies are trying to intimidate them. And in chapter four, it explains that the Jews prayed to God for protection and set a guard as protection against their enemies day and night. And so I don't think that it needs to be this either or of, you know, no, we're just going to we're going to trust God and we're not going to do anything. Um, I think that there is a lot of wisdom in putting safeguards in place as well as, you know, trusting in God's, you know, protection for you or for your family. It's fair to conclude that God gives us ordinary means and common graces that we can wisely use to protect ourselves and our families, uh, our businesses and, and our churches as well. Like our, our churches usually carry insurance policies. And really what we're dealing with, Christy, is a lot of people think that bad things will just never happen to them. And then the fallback position is, but if it does, well, God's going to take care of me and my family. But if you play that out logically, what they're saying is that their friends or their family or their church or the state will become the provider for their financial needs if something unexpected happens to them. One of the saddest things that we see in our industry is when somebody passes away unexpectedly and then the family has to create like a GoFundMe page in order to crowdsource, you know, for life insurance. So insurance gives us the opportunity to place that risk on the back of a multi-million dollar corporation rather than friends, family, the church, or, you know, worst case scenario, the state. Yeah. I, I think even with like going to the doctor, you know, you could say, well, I'm just going to trust God to, to heal me. And, and, and I don't need to worry about going to the doctor, but that's a common grace. It's something that the Lord's provided now in our society and the benefit of medicine. So we use those means that God has provided for us and see that as his provision that he's, he's not always going to work in miraculous ways. He works in common, ordinary ways with the things he's placed in our lives. Yeah. Well, and I love, I, I just love the mindset in that, in that scene in Nehemiah, because it's like, Hey, we're, we're going to pray and we're going to trust that God is going to protect us. And we're also going to set our guard as protection so that God can use them 
you know, to protect us as well. And so I, I love the attitude of pray first and plan. And, and I think that that's very wise. So a lot of the listeners, I would imagine most of the listeners don't own homes, but they're probably renting an apartment, a house. So um, where does renter's insurance fit in? And would you recommend that every renter carry it, even if their landlord doesn't require it? Yeah, uh, I would. Renter's insurance is one of the most inexpensive forms of insurance that you can buy. When Kristen and I were first married and we were living in uh, Burbank, we had a a one-bedroom apartment on a corner and uh, we parked our car out front of our apartment every night. And I came out one morning and my car had been broken into and they stole my my backpack, which was in my trunk. They stole my backpack. It had my, uh, my laptop. I had a leather jacket in there school supplies. And and then they busted my car stereo out of my car and speakers and all kinds of things. Anything that wasn't attached to the car. So my all my school supplies and my computer. And then it's funny, I used to listen to my music very loudly. And I had an amplifier and a subwoofer in my trunk that also was not uh, that also was not mounted to my vehicle. But my renter's insurance paid for all of those items to be replaced. And a lot of people don't realize that your personal property is insured by your renter's insurance. And so we tell everybody, you know, if you could, if you could physically, you know, pick your apartment up, flip it upside down, shake it out, everything that would fall out is what needs to be covered under your renter's insurance. So kind of, you know, add it all up and uh, whatever the cost would be to replace all of that, that's what we're looking to insure. And that also extends to items that are temporarily in your vehicle or you know outside of your apartment. And a lot of people don't recognize that. It's incredibly affordable. It's for most people, it's going to be between thirteen and twenty dollars a month. And so, very, very practical, very inexpensive. And you know, if if people are like, you know, I have twenty thousand dollars in personal property that would need to be replaced, you know, they ask like, well, what if it's you know twenty three thousand or twenty five thousand? I tell them, you know, the the difference is literally you know, 40 to 50 cents a month. So we might as well overestimate a little bit here and make sure that we're properly insured rather than trying to get it exactly on the nose. Yeah, well, that's a good point. And most like homeowners need to have um, insurance. So they're already thinking about that and protecting their home and their property. But I don't think renters really think about that a lot. So a good practical tip there. Yeah, it's really commonly overlooked. So there's a lot of types of insurance that your employer is going to offer to you. And that's probably why a lot of people just don't even think about insurance because it's like, I'm covered. I have dental, health, life insurance, maybe. So beyond what your employer will offer, what other types of coverage should ladies consider? It's an important distinction, I think, to recognize that employers offer benefits. So they're going to offer... Your medical insurance, uh, if you're working full time, you know, and you should absolutely take them up on that. But those benefits end when you no longer work there. So if you take employer sponsored uh, life insurance, it's important to know that that life insurance ends the moment that you terminate employment there. So we're always going to recommend that people secure products that require a physical exam, like like life insurance or disability. We're going to recommend that people get those outside of their employers because if they strictly rely upon what they get through their employer, then 
if they stop working there or like if they have a change in their health and they can no longer qualify for that type of product on their own, then they become dependent upon this benefit that the employer offers. And the employer can also terminate things like the life insurance coverage. They can decide, you know, hey, we're not going to we're not going to offer that benefit again next year. So those types of things can go away. So I think it's important for people just to recognize what's a what's a benefit and what's an insurance product that you own and that you control. The three most commonly overlooked insurance policies and in, from my perspective is cuz like you said, everybody has homeowners insurance if they own a home, they're required to. If you're driving a car in California or you know almost every other state of the union, uh, you're going to be required to have car insurance. But the three ones that are most overlooked are disability insurance. So if you're injured or temporarily disabled and you can't perform your regular job duties, that insurance policy replaces your paycheck. So uh, the common argument is, you know, you insure your your car, your home, your life, you should probably insure your income. That's the that's the argument for that. Life insurance is actually very commonly overlooked. I think they've said that 57% of people that would qualify or need life insurance actually carry it. And it's important to note that life insurance isn't like winning the lottery. It's income replacement when the sole income earner has has passed away unexpectedly. So uh, it's important distinction. And lastly, I would say very commonly overlooked is long-term care. And that's uh, money to pay for uh, skilled nursing care as you get older. Yeah. I've never even heard of that as being a, a type of insurance. That's interesting. So you mentioned um, life insurance being important for the sole breadwinner of a family, but single people, we don't have people necessarily depending on us. We don't have kids, maybe spouse. So do you think that single people need life insurance? At some level, yes. Funeral services are a big industry in America and they're incredibly expensive. The average funeral cost in California is about $13,000. So a, a very basic life insurance policy for, for final expense or if people want to, there's types of life insurance that you can invest in as like a long-term investment. They can, you know, they can go that way as well. And then depending on, you know, if you own a home as a, as a single person and you're like, I don't want my family to lose the asset if something were to happen to me then you could certainly buy an inexpensive policy that would pay off the mortgage on the home and then would leave the asset to your parents or to a sibling or you know whatever the case may be. But I think, yeah, at its most basic level, there is at least a small need there in order to pay for final expense so that uh, family isn't, isn't saddled with the, with the bill. Yeah, it's good to think ahead about these things because the majority of my audience are, are young people, people under the age of 40. And so... Um, maybe this is not even on the radar, but um, you never know when the Lord's going to call you home. And just being prepared is a way to bless your family because they'll, they'll be the ones, you know, if God takes you sooner, uh, be the ones to have to figure that out. A related uh, question, what about stay-at-home moms? Do do you think life insurance is important for them? Yeah, 100%. Yes. And mostly because, you know, if something happens to me, my wife needs income as soon as possible. So, you know, mortgage payments still need to be made, car payments still need to be made, food still needs to be put on the table. And so my wife's immediate need is income. 
if something were to happen to Kristen, my immediate need is time. Um, I need time with my kids. I need time to step back from my job, from my business. I've got to figure out how to manage everything that a stay-at-home mom does. And, and they are numerous. And for every husband out there who's listening or every stay-at-home mom who's listening, they know that the ways in which a stay-at-home mom works are innumerable. And so we have to figure out everything from how to you know get children back and forth to where they usually go to you know going grocery shopping to caring for the home to you know sometimes a lot of stay-at-home moms will manage finances for the family and so a husband needs time to figure all of that out not to mention the fact that without mom you know kids are going to be really really having a hard time and so insurance can be purchased very affordably on uh, on a stay-at-home mom i will tell you guys that we spend $19.97 a month for my wife's for life insurance on my wife. It's a good policy, it's affordable, and it makes it so that I will have time to manage my life and figure out my life if anything were to happen to Kristen. Lord willing, obviously we hope that that would not be the case, but if it did, yes, I would I would strongly recommend people carry insurance on their on their stay-at-home spouse for sure. And that just takes one hurdle away from that scenario and situation and and gives some peace of mind to all of that. So on the same topic of death, but we hear a lot about wills and living trusts. Do single people need to think this far ahead and have things like that set up as well? So if you if you own anything, if you own anything, property or, you know, property, real estate, uh, life insurance, anything like that, then I would say, yeah, absolutely. I'll also be very transparent and say that my wife and I didn't get our living trust put in place until we'd been married for 10 years. Now, I don't advise that. I don't advise that at all. But that was it, it just took us a, a, a long time to get around to it. And it wasn't until we were we were going to on a Mediterranean cruise for our 10-year wedding anniversary. And we were both like, you know, we're we're going to be flying over the Atlantic. Uh, you know, we're, we're both on the same flight. We're going to be in a foreign country, driving in a foreign country. You know, we should, we should probably get this in place. And it's, it's important to understand that a living trust is essentially you make all of the decisions for your assets, for your income, uh, you know, life insurance, things like that ahead of time so that it's like you're still making decisions with all of those things after you've passed away becomes really important when you have children um, because you're going to spell out in there um, you know who gets care custody and control of your kids when they get uh, inheritance money and and you know things of that nature and how they get it who's the custodian for that money and all of those things so yeah I would I would highly recommend it for individuals before they're married I would just say if you own property, and have life insurance or one or the other or both, you should definitely look at at getting that put into place. And it's it's an estate attorney that you talk to at Greyhawk. We have we have an estate attorney that we work with, and I'd be happy to refer anybody to him. Uh, he wrote my wife and I's uh, living trust, and he did a great job. So, okay, so that's not something you just sit down and write out on a piece of paper. It's something you have to set up and 
No. And well, and actually I had a, um, there is a difference between a will and a living trust. And, um, my aunt, when she passed away, had a will and that she had written down, typed out, she signed for it. It was notarized, but the state still took possession of all of her, her property, her, her bank accounts, her life insurance, her annuities, all of those things. And it's been over two years and my mom is still dealing with the state on all of those things. So if she had written a, a living trust as opposed to a will, then uh, the state would have never taken control of it and it would have been you know, much, much smoother. So, but that's something that uh, an estate attorney can speak more specifically to as to what's best for, you know, for each individual situation. Okay. Interesting. What are other situations where you've seen that if the person had had the right kind of insurance, they would have saved themselves a lot of heartache? Well, it's not necessarily about having insurance. It's about having the right insurance. So I was recently referred to a young lady from Grace Church that had been involved in a car accident. She had called one of those 1-800 number insurance companies that we all, you know, that we're all aware of. And she had purchased an insurance policy through them that didn't work. Like not at all. It didn't work at all. And so she was uninsured and had caused some pretty significant damage to someone else's car. The the Geico's and progressives of the world have done society a great disservice because they've made insurance into a commodity. They've made it into a pack of gum. Like the the cheaper it is, the better. The problem is that along with cheap insurance usually means bad coverage. So if somebody sends me a, a quote that they received and you know I I currently do their insurance and that quote is, you know, seven to twelve percent less. Totally. Like I, I can see that, you know, the, the insurance industry is priced to be competitive, you know, different situations, different, you know, different zip codes that people live in, whatever the case. If somebody walks in with a quote, that's 40% less, then we are looking at two very different insurance policies. And this is where we talk about the fact that it's, it's a legal contract. And to your point earlier about just, you know, kind of being ignorant to insurance and what it is and what it does. A lot of people see a price on a page and they go that like, that's the one that I want. And they don't have any idea of what the legal contract is that they're purchasing that goes along with it. So this poor young lady had been given really bad advice from probably a a minimum wage employee at this 1-800 number and had purchased a policy that just that didn't work. Now, we've referred her to an attorney. She's working with some people within the church that are helping her um, draft letters and things like that to the insurance carrier to say that she, you know, got really bad advice basically. But ultimately you, you don't want to find yourself in that type of situation. So it's really important to find a good advisor, somebody that you trust and not necessarily focus on what the cheapest thing is that you can buy because in the end you do, you do get what you pay for in the end. I would say that the second story is something that my family is currently going through. My dad is beginning to get uh, senile dementia, and that situation is getting worse and worse and worse. And my dad never purchased long-term care. It's something that you really can't buy it until you're in your 40s anyway. There's a couple of you know, there's a couple of 
insurance carriers that will offer to people in their 30s. But really, it's something that people in their uh, 40s should start looking at. Um, and it should be purchased before you're in your 50s or 60s. The policies just get more and more expensive the older that you get. So if you're capable of purchasing it when you're younger, in your early 40s, then you should you should certainly look at doing that. Long-term care pays for uh, skilled nursing care for elderly people when they can't perform the regular activities of daily living. So like they they can't get dressed or they can't, you know, they can't drive, they're confused, they can't feed themselves. And the statistics on this, Christy, are are really alarming because they say that 75% of people over the age of 70 will need long-term care in their lifetime. And I've worked at a retirement home. I know that you have as well. But uh, retirement care, and especially for uh, for memory care and things like that, is incredibly expensive. You know, we're looking at at its bare minimum four thousand dollars a month, and at its most expensive, somewhere between fifteen and twenty thousand dollars a month. So, what we've seen as well recently is several states that are starting to require that people buy it because the burden was so heavy on the state that the state couldn't even handle it. And so they started to mandate, this just happened in in Washington, they started to mandate that people buy long-term care coverage after a certain age. And so it's something that we're going through right now uh, with my dad. My dad is 81 years old and it is without a doubt the most difficult thing that we have gone through as a family. And I, I saw that you had somebody on your podcast early on that talked about caring for caring for an older relative. And so long-term care coverage can pay for can pay for care in a in a skilled nursing facility or it can pay for the wages of a family member to care for another family member as well. So yeah, so there's some things to to take advantage of there, but really especially if you're a single individual, if you've been blessed with God's gift of uh, singleness and celibacy then there's chances that later on in life you could run into difficulty with even with getting care from family members, and that's where a policy like long-term care would uh, be very beneficial for you in your life as you get older. Yeah, no, it's it's really important to think about. And yeah, Daniel, like you alluded to, I worked in assisted living for a long time, and you get what you pay for. There's there's all different levels of types of care. And ultimately, you know, um, having a family member able to care for you is probably going to, you're going to get the most loving and compassionate care, but that's really neat that you said that they would even pay for that, a family member working. So, well, and it's not just, um, if they, you know, the care can be done in their home, it can be done at a skilled facility and depending on the type of policy, you can get coverage for things like if you need to you know, if you need to renovate your bathroom so that there's like a roll-in shower and things like that that make it easier for elderly people, depending on the type of policy you buy, a lot of those things can fall under covered expenses. So really important to talk to um, somebody who knows what they're doing and can help you can help you pick the right type of coverage for for your situation, for what your wishes would be for your future. Yeah. And I think in the next 10 15, 20 years, you're going to see, I mean, just because of the baby boomer generation hitting that age, you're going to see that burden grow massively as we have a lot of people that are going to be in their 70s and 80s and needing that type of care. So yeah. Yeah. Well, and the situation that we're running into with my dad is 
you know, he lives in an apartment, but you know, my wife and I's home, like we still have three kids in the house. You know, my sister lives out of state, so she's unable to, you know, to care for him. Um, my brother also lives in an apartment. And so we're not in a place as a family. And this is where a lot of people find themselves is, you know, how do we provide the best love and care for this family member who we love dearly when we don't have the the space or the setup, you know, to to provide, you know, that type of care. And so um, long-term care solves a lot of those situations. Yeah, it's it's a very, very wise purchase and it's something that is easily overlooked. So switching gears here a little bit, let's say someone has a part-time job or maybe they're self-employed, they're going to have to seek out their own medical coverage. So where would you direct somebody in that place? That's a, that's a really good question. I know a lot of people, especially in the church, go through like a, a MediShare organization. It's basically like a, you know, a pool of people that have pulled all of their resources together and there's an administrator behind it. I personally wouldn't recommend that only because we've seen people wait months and sometimes close to two years for reimbursement on medical expenses, depending on the size of the expense. So I personally wouldn't do that. I always lean towards, depending on the largest company, the largest financial company to pay medical claims. So I don't agree with the formation of the Affordable Care Act (laughs) that was uh, enacted under President Obama. But the bottom line is that it gives everyone access to medical insurance. So I would most likely recommend that people look at the health exchange in their state. Um, So that's, you know, Obamacare, as as people like to, to dub it. But depending on your income level, you can qualify for subsidies and things like that. Or you can just, you know, pay for it outright. And if you're comparing the two, you know, a a MediShare group may be a little bit less expensive, but I would just encourage people to take a higher deductible on their medical insurance plan, save money in an emergency fund, and then let the bulk of the cost weigh on the multi-million dollar corporation as opposed to a group of individuals trying to pull their resources together. Yeah, that's I mean. That's going to be where I lean because I work in this space because I see the benefits of insurance every day and uh, waiting two years to get a medical claim reimbursed is really unreasonable for most people. Yeah. And I, I did have one of those. I went through a Christian care group back when I was just a musician and, and trying to find my own coverage and the one the one benefit that I always appreciated when I had to call them is that they would always pray with you at the end of their call. <laughs> sure. I thought that was awesome. Yeah. Well, and there's certainly a place for it. I, I would never I would never look at people and say, you know, you know, don't buy that. If if that's the most affordable option and that's the best choice for your family, then, you know, then we make decisions based off of budget. And I think it's I think it's important to recognize that there's insurance products out there for everything. And you know, the last time that we were recording our podcast, I made some I made a comment about having some type of insurance. I forget what it was. And the producer was like, Oh, yeah, that's right. You're an insurance agent. You own all the different types of insurance. And I'm like, no, no, no. No, I don't. <laughs> because you can, you know, you can spend your entire monthly budget trying to protect and hedge against every single risk that is out there. So everybody is going to make decisions based off of their own convictions, what's best for them, what's best for their family. 
as insurance professionals and brokers, our job is to uh, advise and help people analyze the type of contract that they're purchasing and help them make wise decisions in that regard. But everybody's going to make different choices for them and their family. I want to circle back to one thing you you made a comment about emergency funds. And so I think that's worth noting that you should have that set up as well, because depending on your deductible, you need to have some money in the bank. So yes. any other points you want to add on that? No, I I don't agree with a lot of things that Dave Ramsey says, but Dave Ramsey is really good at getting people out of debt and getting people to save money. I have a lot of clients and friends at church that uh, believe in everything that Dave Ramsey says, and that's totally fine. One of the things that he preaches is emergency fund. And I think that that's incredibly wise. I think that those are great decisions. And yeah, they can be very helpful when you need to you know, satisfy a deductible, whether that be car insurance or health insurance, whatever that may look like for you, an emergency fund is going to be of, you know, of great importance in that regard. You also said there's, you know, there's um, insurance for almost anything. And (laughs) one type of insurance that I think a lot of us run into is just a warranty. When you buy something, even on Amazon, you'll click to buy something and it'll say, Hey, do you want to add on this warranty? I'm like, I don't know. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) So what do you, what would you say to somebody about like, when's it important to buy a warranty when you make a purchase? Well, it's important to know I don't sell warranties. So um, I speak just as a, you know, it's just a a general opinion. Um, I sold computers for a long time for, uh, for Best Buy and for Gateway. And I tried to sell a warranty on everything you know, every unit that I sold, I tried to sell a warranty on it. But, you know, every home that you purchase usually comes with a one-year home warranty for, you know, an, an air conditioner that breaks or a refrigerator that breaks or whatever the case may be. I think for for big ticket items, cars, homes, um, if you're spending a lot of money on a, you know, a, a home entertainment system or, or anything like that, but everybody's going to reach a point where they're analyzing and saying, you know, that $5,000 product that I purchased, I'm not going to spend $500 on a warranty. I'll spend $200 on a warranty. And so everybody just kind of has to analyze and evaluate. So, you know, and say, what's the, what's the likelihood that this thing is going to, you know, go badly for me? Um, I think cars and homes, it's an, it's an easy decision. Home electronics, you know, purchases on Amazon, that's a different story. But it is an insurance product and it is basically a, a fail safe of if this thing breaks over the next year or two years, whatever the length of warranty is, then they're going to replace it to each his own. I don't buy a whole lot of them uh, except for all my cars. So we've covered a lot of questions and I'm sure we just wet the appetite for people to do their own research. So sure. where would you direct um, if someone wants to just educate themselves more? Any any resources you would point them to? Okay. So I might disappoint you and your listeners here. The internet is full of a lot of really bad advice. So <laughs> if you if you Google it, if you look it up on YouTube, you know, everybody is trying to sell expensive products. They're trying to get you to, you know, buy every insurance product imaginable. The best solution for people is to find an advisor that they trust. That could be somebody through their church. That could be, uh, you know, they've they've been referred, you know, through maybe their through their accountant to somebody that their accountant, you know, 
respects and trusts. I think that almost every article that I've read through Forbes has been pretty reliable. But even then, I'm, I'm still going to recommend that they talk to a professional about it. And this isn't a sales plug for, for me or for Greyhawk. It's, but simply just to say that insurance providers, insurance professionals uh, don't charge for their advice. So we give, we give free advice all the time on what insurance products to purchase. I've looked over hundreds and hundreds of policies for people that are not my clients uh, that have been referred to me through the church. And I'm happy to advise, to give instruction, to say, you know, hey, this looks really good. You may want to increase coverage here or decrease coverage here. And certainly Greyhawk is not the only company, you know, in in the United States that does that. There's, you know, there's a lot of honest, ethical insurance brokers out there that do their job well and do it at a high level. But I would say that that's, you know, you should probably have a, a good CPA, a good attorney, a good financial advisor, and you should have a, a good insurance professional that can advise you on what the right purchases are and, and when to purchase those things. Yeah. Integrity is so hard to come by <laughs> in it is. our world. And so, yeah, that is that is really what it comes down to. Is someone going to give you the counsel that you need or are they just trying to steer you, trying to manipulate you in a certain direction? So, Yep. And really, I mean, we've given a lot of advice to, uh, to our own hurt, really, you know, where we've told people, no, this is, you know, this is a better deal from a company that we can't, that we can't provide to you. And, you know, this is the best choice for you and your business or you and your family or, you know, whatever the case may be. But yeah, important to, to have somebody who understands that they're going to answer for it someday, you know, and, uh, I, I have to be able to put my head down on the pillow at night, you know, come before the Lord with a clear conscience. And so quality advice, advice that cares for a client and looks out for the best of the client is really paramount for us. And Daniel, I'm happy to link your website in the show notes. So if the listeners have questions or want to contact you, they can do that by clicking that link. So would you recommend the insurance industry as a place to find a career? Yes, 100% yes. It's going to depend on, you know, who you are and what your strengths and abilities are. I would say in general on the brokerage side, which is the side that I see the most often, it is a it is an industry that is aging out, meaning that we've got a lot of older men that are that like own agencies and are um, salespeople in agencies. I think the average age for an agency owner is 58. And so there's a lot of opportunity for young people and young uh, women to, to make a career in the insurance industry. It's hard work. It's, uh, it's not easy, but it can also bless a family down the road. So if there's uh, if there's a single female who's like, you know, hey, I feel like I would love to advise people on these financial products, help people manage their risk and sell insurance products, they can actually, you know, build up a book of clientele that can continue to pay them even when they're homemakers. And so there's there's certainly opportunities there. And then of course you can always go onto the carrier side and work for, you know, a Fortune 500 company and do claims or, you know, any type of adjusting or management or anything like that. But I think that the insurance industry can get a bad name because 
because people have been sold products that they didn't use or were sold products that didn't work the way that they were told that they would work or you know they they crashed their car and they didn't get as much you know money as they felt like they should have you know from the settlement uh, a lot of people have had bad experiences and so but i think it's important to recognize that the industry as a whole is not is not a bad place um, there's a lot of honest and ethical people that work in it that want to do a good job and want to help people just, you know, manage their, their risks and to recover from, you know, uh, from a bad experience or from a, you know, a claim or a bad car accident or something like that. So, yeah, I, I think as a whole, the industry is a safe place to make a career. Um, and I think, especially on the brokerage side, you can make a great career that can provide people with a lot of, a lot of flexibility, a lot of time with family, good income, wealth building for the future, all of those things. So, yeah, I, I personally would recommend it. Yes. Okay. And the two highlights that you brought up that are sticking in my mind right now are that you can bless people in the church by helping give counsel or they can come to you. And I love how you said it's something you can do even as like a stay-at-home mom. Because I think a lot of women are looking at careers that give them that flexibility. Like they want to be able to make money, but they want to be able to stay home someday and have something on the side. So I I know when I was in college, that was something my dad helped me think through, like pick a degree where you could do it from home someday if you wanted to. So I think that's really important to be thinking about. Well, Daniel, that was not as dry as a saltine cracker. (laughs) That was very interesting and held my attention the entire time. I learned a lot. I'm sure the listeners did. And yeah, it's just just so helpful to not, like I said, not be worried that we can smile at the future. We have more information. We can make wise choices. So really appreciate your time and expertise sharing on the podcast today. And uh, yeah, looking forward to see what God does with your with your new company and how he how he grows that. Awesome, Chrissy. Thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate it. <laughs> 